in the beginning of time, when God established creation, He revealed a five-fold plan that would regulate society. The identity and the structure was revealed in what we refer to as divine institutions. It began with man being created in the image of God. In that, he was given free will. We don't look like God. We certainly don't act like God. But we are given free will, the ability to make choice as God. And in that image, we were created. In giving man the freedom of choice, God established the divine institution that we have identified as volition, but more practical language would be free will. This society that God was creating would require a structure in order for there to be some semblance of order, and so God established the institution of marriage. A man was to leave his father and his mother, cleave only unto his wife, and they too would become one flesh. Now the biblical revelation governing this divine institution sets forth the structured relationship between a man and a woman concerning the roles and the attitudes that are to guide that relationship. There were wedding vows with that first marriage. Adam said, It is appointed that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave only unto his wife, and they too should become one flesh, as he made a commitment to Eve on that occasion. Propagation as a result of marriage then would require some guidelines for the nurture and the growth of children and of the developing society. Guidelines in which they could understand and develop knowledge and skills that would enable them to eventually establish their own family units. So God revealed His plan for the divine institution of family. With the development of multiple family units then, came the need for a structured social order. We call it government. His provision in this structure of government was to establish relationships between the various family units so there would be some order and some structure. He established the divine institution of government. With the advent of Christ, His virgin birth, His sinless life, His sacrificial death, His victorious resurrection, His glorious ascension, His present intercession on our behalf, His sending the Holy Spirit, and His promise to come again, God established the fifth of the divine institutions 
the institution we call the church. He provided the church to provide for evangelization, for instruction, and for motivation. These five divine institutions were designed for a structured and an informed, safe society. However, isn't there always a however? A distorted church, civil unrest, juvenile delinquency, divorce, the redefining of marriage are all the direct result of man's refusal to follow the guidelines that God established when He set forth these divine institutions. As a matter of fact, there's not one in 10,000 that could tell you the five divine institutions that God has established. Because not only have we not been taught about them, those of us who have been taught don't always follow them. Something that we have identified in our fallen nature as a result of Adam's sin. These departures from the structure that God established uh, have resulted in then a society that is godless and anti-God in many respects. We find that through man's free will, he has made wrong choices. And as a result of those wrong choices that multiply within the structure of a society there is then corrupt government that culminates in a distorted mission for the church. For not only has man been corrupted, but marriage has been corrupted. Along with that, the family has been corrupted, government has been corrupted, and the church, which was to be the guiding star, has also been corrupted. So look with me this morning at the challenge confronting the family in today's culture, which I've identified as a Mother's Day special. Proverbs chapter 31, beginning at verse 10, reads this way. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need for spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She's like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. 
she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth hand to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opened her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Yes, it's Mother's Day. And the village idiot has stolen her bouquet. The former first lady, later a senator for the state of New York, and then Secretary of State wrote a book titled, It Takes a Village. Her suggestion was that children were to be raised not by a father and a mother, but by the village. Mothers abandoned their roles to seek their own identity, and the village idiot is now raising our children. Is that strong language? Well, let's look at it, and then you decide. The village idiot took over the classroom, threw out the standards of morality, taught the kids that Jane had two mamas, showed them how to have sex, distributed condoms, provided abortions when the condoms failed, undermined the distinctions between the sexes, redefined marriage, and now the idiot is confusing our children about who they are and are helping them to mutilate their own bodies in an attempt to change their sexual identity. Society's a mess. Government has gone haywire. The schools are cesspools of immorality and violence. But it all began at home when mothers stop being mothers. We can trace the trend back to World War II. During World War II, the men marched off to war, and the women, out of necessity, went into the workplace. Left to themselves then, children die in the streets, they shoot up drugs, they have sex in their a working mother's bedroom. Studies are made. Communities 
established various committees and forums in an attempt to understand what has gone wrong. But I'll tell you what the problem is. No mothers at home. Yesterday, they proudly introduced themselves as housewives. But today, they reject even the title of homemaker. Yesterday, they worked in the home providing the care that and counsel that is so desperately needed, the wisdom of a mother for children. But today, they're not there. Yesterday, they took pride in the role of motherhood, but today they denounce it as a meaningless existence. They've exchanged Mrs. for Ms. They dominate the workplace. They run businesses. They hold public office. They walk like men. They talk like men. And yeah, some of them are having surgery in an attempt to become men. They've set aside their aprons their feminine charms, to seek meaning and purpose, to do their own thing. Their daughters get pregnant, first their sons, and now their daughters shoot up the school. And the only thing they deem as its unconstitutional is prayer and the golden rule. Yesterday, they marched for the right to kill their babies with abortion on demand. Yet today they march to ban guns that create the same death for the children. They point the finger of blame at inanimate objects and seemingly ignore that they themselves are at fault. They no longer define morality. It's whatever you want it to be today. They designate new sexual gender identifications and the new Supreme Court justice cannot define the word woman though she claims to be the first black of whatever that is uh, that a woman is appointed to the Supreme Court. They've redefined this. They've redefined that. But sin by any other name, is still sin. And its consequences are devastating. Mother's Day is a thing of the past. Now the politicians say, no, they're not mothers, they're birthing parents. And they claim, if you've been watching the news, that men can get pregnant and have babies too. The intent of a government out of control is to gain complete control of us. And in order to do that, the divine institutions have to be destroyed. Free will, marriage, family, social structure, and the church. So the government has attacked And unfortunately, it's an apathetic society that has allowed God's design of motherhood to be destroyed. So, look with me again this morning at His design for motherhood. The story begins 
in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet or appropriate for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the woman <clears throat> made he, or taken from the man made he a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. The woman, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 7 and 8 says, He, speaking of the man, is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. I know, (laughs) I know, that's not popular theology in today's society. God balances it out with His requirement of the man to love his wife with a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues regardless of the response. Something went wrong with God's original design. Actually, the woman was deceived by Satan and she ate the forbidden fruit and she gave it to her husband and he ate of it also. Genesis 3.16 and following. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so the story begins, and the role of motherhood is established. In Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, Paul instructs Titus concerning the teaching of mothers. The aged women, likewise, let them be in behavior as become holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The blame for the breakdown of motherhood must be laid at the doorstep of the church. The church 
has failed to teach young women to be wives and mothers. The church has the responsibility of teaching the young women. The statement in our text says, teach the young women to be sober. That phrase is translated from the Greek word in which this New Testament was originally written. It is translated from sophro needs of sin. Sophro needs of sin. That word means to train through the cultivation of sound judgment in practical matters. A little different than our use of the word sober today. It means to train through the cultivation of sound judgment using common sense in practical matters. So there, the role of the church is to train the young women to cultivate common sense. Secondly, the role of the church is to teach them how to love their husbands. Philandros is the Greek word here. It means husband lovers. And by the way, that's to love their own husbands. Though the word is plural, it's to plural women. And so it's to their own husbands. They are to love their own husbands. Now what we must do is instruct the young women how to love their own husbands. Now, the Scripture says that the woman is to be submissive to the leadership of her husband uh, in uh, all things, but the qualifier for that is under the provision that God has given and the commandments and the instructions that God has given, she is to submit to his authority. He, however, is required to love her with a self-sacrificial love. Nowhere in the Bible is the woman commanded to love her husband with a self-sacrificial love. Because the woman is required to submit to the role of her husband, he is the one that is required to love with a self-sacrificial love. The woman's love for her husband that is identified here in our text today is not the word agape, the self-sacrificial love, but rather it is the word philandros that identifies a responsive love. She is to respond to him. And that's a learned process we see in the text that the women are young women are to be taught how to respond to their husbands. And then the third listing is they are to be taught how to love their children. One would think that that was a natural, that a woman would just naturally have that innate understanding of how to love her children. But 
Unfortunately, we're not in a perfect society. We're in a fallen world and we are the product of a fallen race and are, are birth defective. And so there is the lack of that natural affection that manifests it in responding. And again, it's that word to respond, philo, to respond to the needs of the children. And then the church is instructed to teach the young women to be discreet. That word discreet here is sophronos. In the Greek, it means having the understanding of how to apply God's word knowledge to their circumstance or experience. Not a natural thing. It has to be taught, a taught process of learning how then to be discreet, how to apply one's knowledge to one's circumstance. We know to do good, but we don't do it. We need to understand the biblical principles that are set forth so that we behave in a manner that's more profitable to us rather than in our natural desire as a result of being a product of a fallen race, we make those wrong choices. And so we must learn not only what the Word of God says, but how it applies and how to apply it to our lives. And then Paul says to Titus, have the older women teach the younger women to be chaste. The word is hagnos, and it means set apart unto God for service. Each one of us has a role in God's plan, in our vocations, in our societal structure, in our family unit, in our government relationships. We have a responsibility that God has assigned us, and we're studying that in Second Peter. Today's a departure from our normal study of Second Peter, but next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll be back to the third chapter. And in this epistle of First Peter, we're learning uh, the, what it means to be set apart unto God and how to apply that to our lives day by day. And then Paul said, Titus, have the older women teach the younger women to be keepers at home. Oi kurgus is the Greek word that's translated keepers at home. Now, I didn't intentionally kick over a can of worms, but I guess maybe I did. The reference is not to just keeping the house fit to live in. And notice I said not just that. But it implies that is part of the package, but it says homemaker. There's a difference between a housekeeper and a homemaker. And so the young women are to be trained in the art of, in the art of turning a house into a home, into the techniques that are found in the Word of God for the structure that He has set up for our society. She is to be home as a homekeeper and 
our circumstances in society has gotten such that that's almost an impossibility. It only comes with great sacrifice that that can be achieved with the cost of living and everything else that we have ventured into. It's a real challenge in today's society. And then the women, young women are to be taught to be good. The word agathos is the word that is translated good. It means good in whatever form in which it's found. It has intrinsic value. It identifies then that a goodness of quality. So there is value no matter what form it may be found in. And then that one that trips up society so much today, obedient to their own husbands. Hupotasso nanas is the Greek word. It means subject to their own husbands. God has established a role of authority in all of society and certainly it begins in the home. The husband is to be the head of the home. Governed, remember, governed by self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless of the response. She is to submit to his role and not attempt to dominate him. Some women agree that the man is to be the head, but they consider themselves as the neck that turns the head. And that's not quite what God had in mind when he structured this. In all of society, there has to be a structure. And so, therefore, the man is required to love her with a self-sacrificial love. Women, you can't lose if your husband loves you with a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving. Uh, regardless of the circumstances, you can't live... Uh, lose in submitting that role of authority to him. And then the scripture says, these things are to be taught, and they are to be taught to the young women in order that the word of God be not blasphemed. So the result of this proper indoctrination and way of life, if, if you will, within the church based on its teaching will be that God's Word is not spoken of in an evil way. How is the Word of God spoken of in our society today? It's defamed on almost every count because we have not followed the concepts that God has set up in His Word with Husbands making that commitment with wives responding, with children then being nurtured and trained under the biblical principles so that it overflows into society and manifests itself in a society that is God-fearing instead of godless. A little word about attitude. Attitudes are expressed in dress. 
And the Bible describes the proper adornment of mothers. We find that in the epistle of 1 Peter. We're looking in the second Peter, and so I'll regress a little and go back to that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Speaking of the women whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and of the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now let me quickly remind you that a little paint and powder can turn a desert into a rose garden. But that ought not to be the focus as we find it in the Word of God. Those that dress like mop heads and are afraid to accent some of their natural beauty uh, with a sensible amount of cosmetics uh, simply act, accent their misunderstanding of the design that God has given to man. But the focus is to be upon the inner beauty of the woman. As a woman, she is to focus upon her inner beauty. Her beauty is to generate, and notice it says, from the hidden man of the heart. The language breaks down here just a little bit uh, from one language uh, of Greek to the English to be able to convey that idea. But he is talking about a reference to your human spirit. <clears throat> when God created man, He created him with a body, He created him with a soul, and He created him with a spirit. The body was the mechanism in which the soul and the spirit would live. The soul was the ability to understand and to relate to human experience, to human things. The spirit was the ability to understand and relate to the things of God. When Adam ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, he died instantly. The Bible said he would. There are those critics of the Bible that say, well, no, he didn't die <clears throat> that day. I had a teacher that I've spoken to you about in college <clears throat> that said God lied in the garden and that Satan told the truth. God said, the day you eat of the tree, you'll die. And uh, uh, the devil said, no, you won't die if you eat of the tree. So he wanted to know who told the truth. Well, God told the truth. He said to me, when I said God told the truth, He said to me, where did you come from? And I said, I sprang from the loins of a dead man. And if you've got a few minutes, I'll be glad to explain that. For the Bible spoke of two deaths. When we read it in the Hebrew, God said, the day that you eat of the forbidden tree, dying instantly... Thou shalt die in the future. They died spiritually the moment they ate of the forbidden fruit, though Adam lived to be 930 years old before he died physically. He died instantly 
when he ate of the forbidden fruit. And as a result of natural conception, we have a body and a soul, but Jesus said we had to be born again in order to have a spirit. Jesus said to a ruler of the Jews, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand that you are dead spiritually until you have a new birth and the new birth is yours as you call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. In that moment, you are born spiritually. So no longer are you just body and soul. You now have a spirit which is the capacity to understand the things of God. The unbeliever does not have that. It comes at salvation. But we, as a result of that new birth, we now have a human spirit And the hidden man of the heart is an idiom that identifies the concept of our those things that we accept and believe form our norms and our standards, dictate our behavior. That's the hidden man of the heart. The word heart, as we've looked before, refers to the right frontal lobe where our norms and standards are. Comprehension occurs in the left frontal lobe, but behavior is dictated in the right frontal lobe. And the transition of information from the left to the right is by faith. What we accept, what we place our dependency upon. A woman is going to reflect what she is in her heart. The human spirit, understanding the things of God and committing to those things of God, that forms the hidden man of the heart. Paul said, that is not corruptible. The outward beauty fades. But as Peter reiterates with Paul, the inner beauty does not deteriorate through time, but rather increases. He he describes then this further by saying, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. Peter gets to the point. A woman's real beauty is manifested in a meek and quiet spirit. The word meek is translated from the Greek word pareos, and it means gentle, mild. A person that's oriented to the concept of the application of grace, the willingness to pick up the, the responsibility and the cost of a relationship with another person, to assume that for yourself is to treat that person in grace. And this is the concept of the meek. It's the application of a grace attitude. And then he said, and a quiet spirit. Hosokios is the Greek word. It means tranquility that arises from within and is expressed outwardly. That's real beauty. A wife that does not yell back. Notice I said yell back. That indicates another concept that we'll have to wait till Father's Day 
<laughs> to deal with. But rather, she doesn't lose it with her kids. She doesn't lose it with her husband. She develops that meek and quiet spirit. Sometimes I would prefer the yelling than the quietness that can generate in that relationship. Mothers control the destiny of the nations. It's not the hand that cradles a rock that's going to bring a nation down, but rather we see so much of that attempt in the Middle East, but rather it's the hand that rocks the cradle that breaks a nation. Women in politics will not turn our nation back to the right path. It's mothers in the home that can accomplish that. Mothers once had the greatest influence on the nation because they molded their lives and the lives of the next generation with biblical principles. However, today is the child care facility, the school, and the village idiot that molds that generation and we're seeing the result of that on the news every day. When the children of Israel went in to possess the land that God had given them, the single instruction that God gave them to guarantee their preservation in this new land is found given by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 7 says, For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, when I set before you this day, only take heed to thyself. Here's the instruction. Keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy, to thy sons and thy sons' sons. Spe- uh, specifically, the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb. When the Lord said unto me, Get, gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, and they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they shall teach their children. When mothers abandoned their biblical role, the village idiots stepped forward, and took over the rearing of our children. We've allowed a corrupt educational system that is idiotic in both its philosophy as well as its agenda. We've allowed that system to mold and shape the lives of our children. Liberalism and socialism control public education. Rejecting biblical truth, fundamental standards of morality, 
molding each developing generation into a godless society. The consequences of the village raising the child is clearly evident in all areas of our society today. To compensate for the supplanting of mothers, the village idiot places guards on campus, alarms society with reports of confiscated weapons by the thousands. It's not the weapons that need to be confiscated, it's the abandoned children that must be controlled. They need to be taught standards, accountability, the Creator, and as citizens of His universe. A godless society is the inevitable result of a motherless society. We need mature Christian women to train mothers to become wives and mothers, homemakers, cradle rockers, child molders in order to turn our society back to Christ. It will not be in mass evangelistic campaigns or in the churches of America that a nation will return to to God. It will be in the homes of America that this return will originate. That is, if it is to be. It will be the mothers who understand their unique design by an all-knowing God. Mothers who are willing to be mothers and find purpose and self-esteem in that role. Motherhood must be rescued. Mothers like Moses's who had preserved his life and trained him in the way of God in a foreign country. Mothers like Samuel had, as she recognized her role and gave her son to God and herself to his training. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's where it begins. To call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. The hope of America is in its children. The hope of its children is in the mothers of a nation. And the hope of mothers is in the church. As we get back to the principles that God has established. Those principles that we study on a routine basis every Sunday here are the principles that will turn a society around. Small that spreads as we study together the Word of God. So next week, we'll be back in the second Peter 
It will be the third chapter beginning with verse 1 next week as we find those principles that will counteract what we have found in society today. We can thank God for the godly mothers that we have and rejoice and celebrate that. So I wish you a happy and a godly Mother's Day.